Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Now, today's episode takes us into the third inning of Game 4, where we sit down with Trent Mongero. Now, Coach Mongero is coming to Wisconsin to speak at the uh, clinic in a few days here. Um, he's got the Friday night session, him and Nate Trotsky do, and then he's got the Saturday morning early bird session as well. Now, if you've been following uh, kind of the Twitterverse or social media or digital content that's been put out the last you know handful of years, you know Trent's name. All right, he really made his mark as a high school coach in Georgia. Um, prior to that, he was a high school coach in, in uh, North Carolina, where he was you know at, at 25 years old as a first um, head coaching job at one of the larger high schools in North Carolina. He made a stop, another stop there, made his way to Georgia, and as uh, many of you know, the state of Wisconsin and the state of Georgia have a really uh, great relationship. We've sent coaches down there to speak. They've sent coaches up here to speak at our clinic. Um, but you also know that they it's a very different world down there. Uh, not just the weather, there's more kids, there's you know some higher level of talent pool across the board. And that's nothing against the talent Wisconsin, that's just the talent that is so high in Georgia. The athletic periods, the outdoor practices, um, there's a lot of things going on. But at the same time, they deal with a lot of the same issues we do. You know, they're 15 to 18 year olds. There's parents. There's travel ball. There's you know private lessons. There's recruiting. There's a lot of things going on. So, anyways, in today's episode, we go into a lot of it uh, and much more, and kind of give us a preview into Trent's sessions uh, later this week up in up in Middleton. So, without further ado, Trent Mongero. All right, Coach. Thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you know, of, of all the content you've put out, um, I just want to go through a few things. But one thing you've mentioned over and over uh, when your time as a high school coach, which has been most of your career, was just why you chose to be a high school coach. Now, most of our membership are high school coaches in the state of Wisconsin. So kind of dig into that, why you chose the high school route for your coaching journey. Well, I think it's one of the most important pieces in a player's development. And personally, you know, Tim, I. I didn't have a great high school baseball experience. It wasn't so much that, you know, um, I didn't like my coaches or anything like that. And I had a pretty good assistant coach, but my head coach, I really didn't learn anything. I didn't learn a whole lot. Let's put it that way. And practices weren't very structured. It was upstate New York. And, you know, we had a, we had a decent little team and, you know, I just, my goals and my aspirations were to play in college. And it's not that every coach has to be focused on the high school kid wanting to go to college. But for me personally, I just felt like I didn't get any help in that regard from a develop, developmental standpoint and then also a recruiting standpoint. And, you know, I'm thankful for that now, actually. But that impacted my career choice when I got released from the Braves. Um, you know, I remember the promise I made to myself that I would be a high school baseball coach, you know, whenever my cleats and my glove got put up for the last time. And um, so that's exactly what I did. I went right back to school, changed my degree at UNC Wilmington. And a couple of years later, you know, I was the head coach uh, at Laney High School, like the eighth biggest school in the state of North Carolina. So, Well, that's, that's one thing that I want to touch on is, you know, you were a high school coach, pretty young. You were a pretty young high school coach and were coaching at the high school level a long time. So, you know, I know you were North Carolina and then, you know, finished your time in Georgia. 
Like, what are the, some of the lessons you learned as a high school coach? Wow. How long do we have for this podcast? <laughs> um, you know, I say that in jest because it truly is a, a learning experience. Um, I think the early part of my career, I was trying to earn respect, um, you know, from whoever, parents, administration, other coaches, you know, show how pe people how much you know. And, um, you know, I did care. So, I, you know, of course, I was trying to show how much I care, but way more concerned about wins and losses and perception. And then ultimately, as the years passed by, my focus changed. And it's funny, when my focus changed, I would say that my teams probably had more success, you know, um, from winning game standpoint. And that is just learning to relax, not live and die with every call the umpire made, every play, you know, on defense, every at bat. Um, just focus more on process and let the outcome take care of itself. Um, but, um, you know, I've, I've had more efficient practices. I understand more about where the priorities should be in practice, um, you know, and just try to keep it simple. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's a Nate Trotsky quote, you know, who I hang out with a lot. Um, keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, we get so bogged down with so much stuff, and, you know, simple is better and um, do simple better and do simple great. And you're going to win a lot of baseball games. Well, there's a lot in there. So, you know, guys that follow your content, you've been so gracious. If it's your YouTube channel, your social media, obviously what you're doing, you're putting out a ton of information for coaches and things that stand out to me, you know, from afar are you do simple really, really well. And you're extremely disciplined about that. So maybe dig into those concepts and why you think that's so important to the keys to success. I don't know. I think it's logic. Um, you know, when you sit back as a coach, if you just simply ask yourself what wins and loses games, like what do my teams have to be the best at most of the time? And that's where you put most of your emphasis in practice. And once you can nail those things down, um, then I think you kind of start adding in the, the dessert and side courses and, you know, uh, just you got to touch on on things, but it's so easy to get lost in the details and forget about the main course. So, you know, to me, the main course is where it's at. And the main course on defense is being an elite thrower and catcher of the ball, receiver of the ball. Um, when you can do that at an elite level, that translates into making plays. And then, you know, I'm also big on just coming up with a basic series of drills, which I'm going to touch on in Wisconsin. My, my topics out there relate to practice. One is how to maximize your practice, developing a championship team one day at a time. So we're kind of touching on some of that right now. So, um, you know, it, it really is boiling it down to what matters most and then focusing on that. And the more you can create routines, Tim, the better off you're going to be um, for everything. Like routines are king, in my opinion, because when players know, uh, you know, three to five series of drills for this, three to five series of drills for that, good drills, real drills that translate into the game, 
you know, a one person coach or maybe, you know, a coach with just one or two assistants can get a ton done because once those routines are established, the efficiency of practice goes up tremendously. So it's the discipline of one understanding and learning what are the key drill sets that you feel like will translate into the game the most and then teaching them and teaching the why and the how to the players and just build, it's like brick by brick. That was our team motto this past year, uh, uh, you know, my last year of coaching and that brick by brick mentality applies to everything in the game, you know, Brick by brick could be drill one, drill two, drill three. That's, you know, but within each drill, you have bricks. And so I don't want to overwhelm people, but it's really a simple to complex mentality. You know, you start simple and you start easy. And when they master something, you, you challenge them a little bit more. And no matter what it is that you're doing over time, people will rise to the occasion. It, it's like a growth mindset. It just forces people to grow. So what the problem is, is when we start looking at, you know, the advanced stuff and we start trying to put all that in before, you know, we're trying to multiply and divide before we can add some track. Let's put it that way. Well, and for us, simple baseball coaches, that makes a ton of sense. You know, multiplication, right. addition, like I, I love that analogy. So right. when you were practice planning, um, what was your process? You know, did you. Were you scripted down to the minute? Um, you know, was it something you do as a coaching staff? Would you set the framework and get it out to them? You know, was it NDD, then Team D? Like, you know, did you have a typical process you went through to just run a practice plan? Yeah. Um, so initially, like in my early days, I would have a plan very much like I did at the end. However, I would get bogged down in my plan at practice if the guys were struggling with like rundowns. You know, an hour and a half later, we'd still be doing rundowns and we'd all be ready to punch each other, you know, at that point. And, um, you know, and then you're, you know, you're trying to punish them because they're not executing and they're getting frustrated. And it's just turning into this, you know, ball of frustration. But, uh, you know, I learned to not only prioritize like we just previously spoke about, I learned to, you know, move on. Like if I realized that we were struggling with something, I, I wanted to go back and be able to assess why is it we're not throwing and catching. We don't understand the rules of the rundown or whatever it is we're doing. Do we need to break it down simpler and then build it back up? Or are the guys just having a bad day, you know, like, um, and yeah, you got to push through sometimes. I'm not saying you, you immediately have to abandon something if it's not working, but whatever your time slot is, there's other priorities of things that have to get done. And the worst thing that you can do is make, you know, a two and a half hour practice, which in my opinion is really the max of any practice should be at the high school level into a three and a half to four hour practice because you wanted to drag rundowns from a 30 minute segment into an hour and a half. And now, you know, parents are pissed, players are pissed. And if you do that on a regular basis, you'll burn your kids out, you know, and you'll lose support. So, um, no, I, I just, you know, I mean, if I'm just thinking about it, like if today was practice, in Georgia, we're already in season, by the way. They're in their third week right now, regular season. You guys in Wisconsin get a hold of that one. They're like just a couple of weeks from playing games right now in Georgia for high school. But so I'm looking outside my window right now, and I'm thinking about if today was practice, I would, you know, it's a beautiful day. It's like 70 degrees in southeast Georgia, and we would be outside. So I'd have an indoor and an outdoor, but I would have looked at the weather really hard if there's no chance of rain 
probably not creating a rain plan. Um, but because I know that I can plan on the fly, you know what I mean? I can adjust really easy. So I'm going to focus on the outdoor plan. I'm going to think about the priorities, you know, week three, where are we from an offensive standpoint, bullpen standpoint, arm preparation standpoint, you know, um, are we going to focus more on team offense, team defense, um, individual offense, individual defense? It's hard to cover it all. So you have to really kind of break it up early on in the season. I spent way more time and, you know, knowing your situation in Wisconsin with this little amount of time that you guys get to spend with your players, to me, it's going to be fundamentals one-on-one, you know I mean? I don't know how much time you have to you play your games, but, you know, we have to establish some routines and I'm not going to get them to be too complicated. If I'm just now getting my hands on my players at the start of the high school season, in Georgia, that's a big problem, okay? But that's what you guys, it sounds like the cards you're dealt with. Um, so, you know, I'm going to be establishing two to three drills that I really like and, and maybe teach them, you know, put those in over the course of two weeks, you know, like, so I'm not trying to learn the whole throwing routine, you know, all the hitting drills, all the fielding drills, you know, and I'm just talking about individual drills for them. So that once that stuff's in place and we, we can touch on the fundamentals and the hows and the whys so they have a good feel for, you know, why they're doing what they're doing, you know, then we just start building on it. But if it was here in Georgia, we have all four, excuse me, the whole fall to work with our players. If you choose, uh, you don't get paid for that. But, um, you know, most better high school programs in this state, which there's some dominant ones within the country that's exactly what they do. And all the processes are well established by the time the season starts. So now it's just a matter of, you know, putting those wheels in motion and, um, and you can advance really quickly into more in-depth stuff. Your, you know, your team defenses and your, you know, your bunt defenses, your first and thirds, your rundowns, your cutoff relays. I mean, you know, so you got to balance it all. I mean, you can't leave all that stuff out in Wisconsin you can't leave it out and then not put it in. You'll get beat, you know? So I think time management for you guys is, is of utmost priority. Um, being very efficient, knowing what wins games, what loses games. And uh, experience really kind of helps you with that over time, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I can go on and on and on. Um, I hope that at least I'm opening some eyebrows, some eyes or, just putting an emphasis on some things, reminding some people of the priorities. And then when I get up there to talk, you know, if we have any post time, uh, if anybody wants to talk one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I'm, I'm available the entire time. And, and I don't want to make it seem like I got it all figured out because I don't, but I'm a pretty simple guy and my teams have had a lot of success. And, uh, we don't recruit players or anything like that. So it's really just building a foundational culture of doing things the right way. Um, and that goes from weight room, classroom practices and um, learning leadership skills and, you know, trimming the fat, getting rid of the kids that, you know, can't toe the line and are, you know, bringing the program down and um, and then moving everything in the right direction over time. So to me, it takes two to three to four years to build a program where the guys truly understand what's expected. And um, I admire you guys if, if uh, you're trying to coach a team and. When do you guys start? When's your first day in Wisconsin? Uh, March 21st 
and then they, we get um, are eligible to play the next Tuesday is opening day. So we're talking uh, six, seven days of practice, and then we're eligible for opening day. Okay, well, here's what comes to mind for me right now is instructing without directly breaking rules, whatever those are. Like if you got to share video, if you have to, you know, um, you know, I'm probably going to create PowerPoints for my players. If I'm in Wisconsin, I'm going to, if that's allowed, um, I'm going to, you know, uh, have the drill series for, you know, offense, for defense, our bunt defenses, our first and thirds, rundowns, everything's going to be put in some sort of video format or PowerPoint. And they're going to have to know that stuff, you know, before they come into the season. Because there's no way in one – I mean, that's worse than literally. How do you get their arms ready? I mean, like, you know, that's they, – they obviously have to have a lot of accountability, the players in Wisconsin, to prepare themselves. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of hurt players and clueless players out there. Because everything they're doing at the academies, this is not a knock on the academies, but it's really just – skill work it's you know swinging a bat it's pitching you know whatever they're doing with all the technology there but it's really not playing the game of baseball from a baseball iq situational awareness standpoint which ultimately is what wins and loses games because you can be the best hitter and pitcher in the world but if, if your players don't know how to execute plays and picks and defenses and you know cutoffs and relays they're just going to be all over the place and people are going to take huge advantage of you way less talented teams will take advantage of you well that's a i'm glad you went there because like we talked before we started recording you know in wisconsin high school seasons three months academy is nine months again like right now it's february 1st you know in wisconsin at least we're starting you know guys are arms are getting built up they're starting live at bats you know inside their academies and they turn them over to us so i bring that up because i know across the state that relationship between the high school coach the club slash academy coach is a, is a delicate one. And obviously you've coached high level players, a lot of high level players that have played a tremendous amount of travel club baseball. How did you go about navigating those waters as a high school coach? Well, those relationships are, are critical. Like they'll make or break you. And in that, in your state, it's, it's, you know, magnified probably 10 to 20 fold, no exaggeration. I mean, I, I can have success as a high school coach if I don't get along with people that are doing lessons in my areas or academies or whatever, I, I'm, I can survive. It, it's going to be a little bit of a tumultuous situation because they're hearing something here, hearing something from me. But one of the great ex greatest examples I have is like Shane Monahan, who was all ACC at Clemson as an outfielder, played in the big leagues. I literally just did an infield at his academy this past weekend. He was in North Georgia when I was at North Hall. He was in our backyard, and, and he had his team, SCB. Um, and um, he and I, you know, got along well. I, I think you have to foster. I mean, one, I knew what he was teaching was real and legit. Um, he wasn't doing pie-in-the-sky stuff, which, you know, we live in a little bit different world right now where somebody could easily be teaching something way different than what I think works at the high school level. Um, and uh, not that I don't, you know, believe in technology or whatever, but, you know, we, we can go talk about those things if you want, but later, but, you know, my relationship with Shane was really good. Um, I trusted him with my players and I would turn my older players over to him in the summertime 
even some of the younger ones. But, uh, you know, we usually kept our younger guys together because I was able to coach them in the summertime. You can't do that in Wisconsin, I'm guessing. So you have rules in the summer, too, like you can't coach your players in the summer? Uh, we can. You know, there's like a American Legion ball is still – around in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, it's, it's dying off a bit, but the last 10 years, the club scene, especially in the metropolitan areas, the Milwaukee, the Madison area have really taken off. And, you know, those teams are playing, some are playing a national schedule. You know, they're, they're, they're traveling across the country. They're in Lake point, you know, they're, they're going to some national tournaments, the higher end teams. Yeah. You know, and it would take a lot of commitment for a high school coach to do that, but that's exactly what we did. I lived in Georgia, so it was pretty easy for me. And I guess I had enough, maybe, you know, young high school coach, maybe they don't buy in with me, you know, the parents to do something like that. But we literally took our young guys and we had, you have to like, it's all about relationships. Everything's about relationships. So um, the organization that my son played in uh, is one of the, you know, most well-known organizations in, in the country when it comes to, showcase baseball and and he was willing he trusted me enough to allow us to put our high school team in tournaments that he had the power to get us in underneath his name now if we couldn't have done that I would have been figuring some way to get the best option possible um, for my players but we kept our guys together and to me the summer was the most important training we did the young ones I let the old ones go because I never wanted to parent or a player to say you know something like what I say about my high school experience is that I, I didn't get maximized I want them to have the opportunity to go play for somebody else it has multi-purposes one they get to see something different um, maybe that coach has a contact that I don't have um, here's something a little different that maybe helps them you know um, but but ultimately I, I feel like also they can't came back the vast majority of the time and go, holy cow, I realize what we're getting now in our high school program. It was almost like, you know, a chance for them to get out into the world and realize that they had a pretty, they have it pretty good the way we train. Um, and a lot of coaches care about what they do. High school coaches, you know, care and want to do good and want to win. And you fight that respect type thing. So they'd get out and kind of come back and go, all right, you know, I get it. Uh, they'd be even more bought, bought in than ever. But like guys that wanted to play for Shane, though, he was providing a great opportunity. And he also is a little bit more. He's tough. I'm tough, but he's in that showcase. He's a he's a super, super intense guy. So they have to develop some extra toughness when they're with Shane. Um, I have you know, I'm a high school coach, so I got to be a little bit more politically correct about how I what I say and how I go about things. And this is not a knock on Shane. I think it's actually a bonus. So my guys got a taste because when you get to college, if you're, if you get to play there or if you're playing for a state championship, if you get to play there, you know, there's, it's intense. And um, when you learn to deal with intensity and realize it's not personal, I think you, it can really help you, you know, and today's kid has a tendency, not all of them, but a lot of them to take intensity, maybe personal or, you know, like you don't like them or something. So I know I don't want to get too much off track, but. No, that's you know. good. And you were kind of walking into a place that I wanted you to go and that intensity and, you know, training to win championships at the high school level, right. You know, playing at state and playing games that matter. And only so many right. teams get to really do that at the end of the season. And so right. like, as you reverse engineer and, and practice plan, how do you create that environment in a practice setting 
that is intense, that is competitive? Like, are there some go-to things that you did to get your guys ready for that? Absolutely. And it's a balance, right? So it's a growth mindset that I touched on earlier. And everything that I do is a balancing act. If we're going to do something super competitive, like hit, you know, a plus plus slider from a left-hander off a machine where we're not going to have very much, much success. We're going to probably follow up the next day with, you know, some front toss and feel good BP from somebody that can really throw some BP because I know like they're all walking away feeling beat down like they can't hit so you can't just pound them all the time with like you know high level failure activities in practice um but any kind of competition intensity um that you can put into your practices to make it game-like and that's really just a matter of being creative take whatever you're doing and say how can we turn this into a competition i mean it doesn't even have to be a complicated competition you know, if you're hitting on a tee, maybe you're hitting using a whole cage. I don't know. I'm brain, totally brainstorming right now. I'm going to divide the cage up into sections and put points, you know, and, and where I want them to hit. If we're doing like driving the ball oppo or backside, you know, then that's where the, the points are going to be. And they're like competing, you know, um, might have, you know, teams and the team points tally up and they're allowed to talk, you know, the two teams of the four get into the championship in the cages, you know, and then they, and the other, everybody's allowed to talk smack to one another kind of thing within reason. Um, and just constantly just trying to create intense environments. It's, it's just taking whatever you're doing and amping it up. But if you can't throw and catch and you can't do basic fundamentals, they're not ready for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, that's where you got to assess your players and where they're at. That's like, they can get some of that sometimes, but they can't have like an overdose of it. You know, it's gotta be balanced. So yes, I think, um, you know, I think creating a mindset too, Tim, you know, helping players understand that they're competing against the game. I think one of the biggest things that helped my teams, literally this simple mindset, and, and you'll hear me and Nate talk about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. Nameless, faceless opponents in a nameless, faceless venue. So, you know, when I first got to North Hall, we would play Buford High School out of Georgia. You know, they average right now probably nine to 11 Division One players a year in their high school team. And I'm talking about, you know, SEC, probably half of those are SEC, you know, Power Five. So, and they're in the same conference as us. In Gainesville High School, you know, Deshaun Watson was from there. I mean, they're, they're winning state championships. They're high level. When I first got to North Hall, when we play those teams, as soon as they saw Buford or Gainesville or those colors, you know, it's like they immediately got tight and they tried to do things different. And they just put way more emphasis on those teams. And I just really tried to simplify their mind, simplify their mindset that it don't matter who it is. It's a ground ball from a Buford kid is a ground ball from a white County kid. You know what I mean? Nothing against white County, but they're not Buford. You know, um, it's the same thing. And um, a pitch is a pitch. The ball's flying through space. You know, you compete against the game. You get a fly ball, you take a good route, you hit the cutoff, man. You know, you, whatever. You know, you learn your internal earn, internal clock as a defender and, and you work on that kind of stuff and then you just execute plays. And next thing you know, you'll be in those ball games and you'll be winning them. It took about three years 
to overcome that hump. So I think that's a big, it's a big mindset. It's a mental hurdle for most teams. Um, the ones that are skilled enough, if they can't win when it matters, it's, it's all on the brain. I think that, I mean, I think every coach that hears that you can completely agree, right? Especially in this era where, you know, Hey, this kid popped this number in his indoor bullpen. Hey, this kid from this neighbor school is throwing 92 and, you know, he's got an offer from here and now we're going to face him on Tuesday in a conference game. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a mental block there. So I, 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 I'm so glad you went there. That's a phenomenal point. So in regards to like practice environment, you went to a lot of places, creating competitive environment, kind of the old block versus random debate yeah. that we have a lot. You know, you touched on that. The other thing I wanted to ask you in the high school setting, in that team setting, how do you, is there a way to individualize in a team setting? Um, I mean, yeah, of course there is. Um, you just have to be creative. You know, it's going to take a little extra time. It's just like a classroom for a teacher. You know, you a class is a team. And you can individualize in a class. You can individualize for a player. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind would be a bullpen. Um, you know, one guy is different than the next. What he needs to work on, what his focus is. Maybe, maybe it's a mechanics for one guy. Maybe it's a, you know uh develop a second pitch for the next guy maybe you know whatever it is you got to know their strengths and weaknesses you have to know your players um the bad part about the wisconsin scenario is you know i don't like to mess with people's mechanics too much in season so that would be a big hurdle for me it would have to be something pretty significant uh before i'm going to try to make a change in the season if this is a little simple thing, you know, yeah, we can probably handle that. But then you're fighting. Well, that's not what my guy at the academy told me kind of thing. So I always think you got to be able to justify the why. And ultimately, I tell the player it's up to you, but I make the lineup out. So, I mean, you know, if you if you want to stick with your way and you're getting it done, you're wet. Hey, no problem. I'm not going to punish you just because you like that way. But if you're not getting it done. True, truly not getting it done and you're not getting in the lineup, you know, it's not because I'm punishing you, but you're not being productive. I mean, it's really going to come down to who I trust to get the job done. So obviously if I'm talking to you about this particular thing that we're talking about, it's an issue. You know, you're, you're, you, you've had a chance to show what you can and can't do. And right now you're, you, you're not getting it done at a high enough consistency level. So we need to make an adjustment because the path we're on, is not going to get you either in the lineup or not going to help us win enough or whatever the scenario may be. Um, so you guys, you know, that's a, that's a big challenge for you guys. So I want to make sure I answered the question. You were, what, where, what was that initial question? No, we were and just then, talking about how to individualize in that team oh. setting. You know, you'll hear a lot about, especially on the offensive side, you know, they'll try to bucket guys, you know, your runners and your, your bombers and different things, maybe on the offensive side as well. Is that anything come to mind there? Yeah. Um, you know, yes and no. Um, typically in season, we did not offensively, you know, I wanted everybody, no matter who they were, to be able to sack, drag, push, slash, hit and run, squeeze, use all, hit to all fields because we're at the high school level. I mean, I, I'm not bucketing my guys into, you know, the bombers and, the you know, the, the slappers or whatever, you know, uh, 
first of all, we wouldn't have any bombers, you know, not at the fields we play at. Um, Adam Wainwright designed our field. And I think he, as a pitcher, he knew exactly what he was doing. Cause I think there was seven home runs hit in the four years. I was the head coach at that field. So the bombers are pretty much out of luck, but uh, on a serious note, um, you know, our practices offensively were designed really with just the ability. So whatever our, our approach was going to be that day, whatever we were working on, they all were pretty much doing the same thing. Um, and if, if you're a power guy, it's really just because you got a little more pop. You know, it's not like we're taking the 120 pounds soaking wet guys and like bringing them over there and trying to get them to swing out of their behinds so their exit below can reach a certain threshold or something. I mean, that would be kind of individualizing to me. Um, so the pens is really what came to mind. I mean, we do individualize by positions defensively. Uh, so my middle infielders, we have a, a set of drills. If you heard me speak in Indianapolis, I still use this, although I've changed some of the things that we do. You know, I had the big five infield drills that everybody – did in the infield and then we had the specific drills for the third baseman specific for the first baseman middle infielders were doing their specific stuff so we were really individualizing by position more than by person you know um i don't know that you have a tr enough time to like individualize all the time i think you're it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis if i was in your shoes up there as to whether maybe we stay late and work with a guy on something that he needs work on, as opposed to trying to get that to be in practice individualization, you know, time is so valuable. And ultimately you got to get to a point as a varsity player where the vast majority of the basic stuff that we do, you have a grasp of, because if you, if you can't do that in our area, you're not making the team. You know, uh, you know, unless you have something really special that you do, and, you know, maybe you're a base runner specific or, you know, that kind of thing. And who wants not many people want to do that. So before and after practice, kind of more individualized when we're in season, out of season, way more individualization, way more small groups, you know, taking a guy off to the side here. Hey, you guys finish that drill. You know it. Hey, let's work on this. You know, you're you're not flexing your wrist enough on your ground ball, you know, you, you're not, um, you're, you're too long on the backside. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the V slot and let's remind you of those priorities. Let's go do a couple drills and then come back and, and see if we can't clean that up or you're not following your throws well or whatever. Um, so, you know, I hate being vague, but you know, when you at, when you, you ask a question like that, it really is tough not to be somewhat vague because otherwise we could do one podcast on that entire question if you really want to dig deep, but that's just my overall take on it. Really? Um, yeah. Well, what, what, what we appreciate is, you know, a lot of the content that's out there, right. Is I don't use this as an excuse, but it's at a much higher level. It's guys that have a lot more resources and that might just be time or coaches or, whatever it may be. So, you know, I think we always think in the high school lens, like how can we scale this down for us, for our varsity team, then for our JV team and our freshman team and our youth program, like, you know, building like you know, that brick by brick mentality, but thinking right. about coaching, you've given us so much, like you've also been around some of the best coaches in America and even the world. And you're too humble, but I'd put you in that category and we didn't do anything about your bio. I'll save that for the intro later, but like what, um, 
what attributes the best coaches you've been around? What do they possess that makes them so successful? Humility. Um, you know, it ain't, it's not about the coach. It's not about them. Um, they realize, and this was something I had to learn real quick. It's not me versus you. When we go play a game, you and I are going to be there next year and the year after, unless you take another job and the kids are going to come and go. This isn't a boxing match with me and you, I, you know, I can be your friend. doesn't mean I got to, you know, we got to be friends while we're competing, but ultimately we're respected. We respect one another. You know, I don't hate you because your team is winning or losing or whatever, you know, it's really just humility. The, the best coaches realize that they don't know it all. They're willing to admit that. And they are students of the game. Um, they give credit where credit is due. They are genuinely happy for, you know, their peers when they have success. Um, and, um, you know, they care about their players. Uh, they're in it with a big heart. And high school coaches have it the tough the toughest now I mean I they have it the toughest we got to make cuts we got to make out lineups we got to make out lineups that matter everybody makes out lineups but it's not you got these four innings you got these three innings hey you're playing this game hey you're playing that game oh win or lose let's go back to the pool and play Fortnite tonight and go out to eat and come back and maybe we win a couple tomorrow you know it's every game matters and we're trying to figure out who our best lineup is and once we find our best lineup except for a couple exceptions of maybe guys being really, really close and do something very special, unique. Um, the, the same guys are probably playing 90% of the time. Um, the other guys are spending a disproportionate amount of time on the bench and they got to learn to be great teammates and role players. And, um, you know, you don't get that in the showcase environment. That's why everybody loves summer. They love summer because there's not a lot of pressure. There's not a lot of pressure in most instances, so they play more relaxed. And I love summer. You know, I play much better in the summer. Well, why is that? Why? You know, think about it. It's obvious because when there's not a lot of tension and things don't matter, people don't put a lot of pressure on themselves. So they tend to free up and play the game. Light, loose, free, and easy. But you get into a high school scenario where games matter and friends are watching and your teammates go to school with you and you're trying to win games and trying to win starting spots and you're pissed off because you're on the bench and, you know, you don't think you should be there and you're dealing with all these dynamics and it's just uh, the high school coach, my hats go off um, to the high school coach. Uh, there's, you know, across the country, there are tremendous high school coaches. There are some bad ones. Um, there's some tremendous showcase coaches. There's some bad ones. You know, it's, it's kind of the same scenario. The difference is a showcase coach in 90%, 95% of the time is not focused on development. They can use the word development. They can talk about it all they want to. They're blue in the face. But until you can practice with guys on a regular basis, you know, the guys that are just showing up on the weekends and they make out lineups and play. Now, if you're at an academy and you're working with somebody that's really good because those guys exist, you know, they're working on development. If they're not just, you know, trying to fool everybody as to how much they, if they're really good coaches and there's a lot of them, that's where you can be developed, but that's a different type of development than in-game development. You know, again, you're in a controlled, it's kind of like the lab, you're in a lab, you know, 
you're being, you know, you kind of, there's a lot of predictability to what's happening. Same pitch over and over, same speed. They're not trying to get you out. It's kind of hard to get your money and your parents to write a check to this guy. If you're like struggling all the time, you know, miserable because you're not having success. Right. Then you get into a high school scenario and why can't my kid hit? He's killing it in the cages, you know, at such and such place, you know, well, that guy's not trying to get, you know, make your son miss, you know, necessarily the vast majority of the time. And the one in the game is 100% of the time trying to make you miss. So, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard for the high school coach because the parents are not going to get it. A small percentage will, the vast majority won't. And you just kind of come to grips with that and you coach the kids to the best of your ability. And most of them figure it out sooner or later, the kids, they really do. Whether it's in high school or five, 10 years afterwards, if you do a good job and you're, you're busting your tail for those kids, they'll come back and, and they'll recognize that when they get into the real world and they have to start making some tough decisions themselves. Well, you know, we touched on what, you know, what makes the best, the best on the coaching front, but you've also coached some phenomenal players, you know, at all levels of success in, in, at, at high school and beyond, like what characteristics and traits do the best players you've been around have? Yeah. Um, they're in love with the process. You know, we use that word process so much. It's like love, you know, like I love the process, process, process. Well, the guys that are great, they have their own process, their own routines. They know the why behind the routines and they're in love with their routines. They, they would rather be hitting, fielding, throwing, working on their game in the weight room, working on, you know, jumping rope, you know, juggling wall ball, whatever, then hanging out or looking at their phones. You know, they, they are in love with process. Um, the, the best also have a, ability to work even when they don't feel like working um because not you know even the best players have days they don't feel like working um we say feeling good's overrated that's one of nate's favorite things to say too is you know feeling good is overrated it's not about how you feel you know it's being able to get yourself to work when you don't feel like working because uh, you know it's the law of thirds third of the time you're going to feel great third of the time you're going to feel good third of the time you're going to feel like crap and, and when you add those two thirds together, when you feel like crap and you feel like good, those are the times that you got to be able to work, especially when you feel like crap. So, you know, accountability partners, they're, they're really good at identifying the best players, other people who have, are like-minded and they really gravitate to them. So guys that want to work, um, who they can count on that kind of thing. So, you know, the best players are, are, um, hungry, they're disciplined, um, you know, they're workers. Uh, they just, they're driven, really. You know, the best are driven. They're, they use failure as motivation. They, they know their why. They know why they're, at, you know, after the goal. It's not just to put on a uniform and wear the school colors on a jacket and a hat around school to get the girls. You know, I mean, it's uh, their why is way deeper than that. And they're driven to be great. And it's a very small, actually, Tim, as you know, very small percentage actually that falls into, uh, you know, most, most people are content being average or, or they kind of want the, they want the benefits and the results that these small percentage of people are willing to work for. They want it, but they're not willing to put in the work underneath it to make that happen. You know? Um, so 
those are kinds of things that popped up into my mind. You talked about the players, the best players, you know, the super skilled kid who's toolsy, you know, they're just blessed with tools. Um, you know, they're going to go, they're going to go further than, than maybe the guy that's not as tooled, but they're going to meet their match if they don't have a routine and they don't love it. It's, it's coming and it's going to be a huge wake up call for them. And you can kind of warn them of it, but some understand and some don't. And uh, they come crashing and burning real fast when they get to college or pro ball. When they realize that skill alone doesn't get it done. It's, you know, it's all the mind stuff we've been talking about. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, skill, that's a dangerous dangerous place to be especially a young player who's really really good I think that kid's if he doesn't have a good parents who are keeping him grounded and people around him that are keeping him grounded and looking at the big picture I've seen more 12 year old phenoms not even make varsity or you know be just average varsity players and they were phenoms they were destined to the big leagues at 12 so you know, not a knock on those guys because there are those guys that are 12 that get it and have good heads on their shoulder and they're still the best guys at 18, 19, 26, 36, whatever. So it's all about being grounded and understanding, you know, the big picture. And so everything that you and I are talking about, if you have a parent who kind of gets it and can keep a kid grounded and focused and right in his mind or her mind, you got a much better shot. Thanks for going into that. You know, I think every high school coach who's been lucky enough to have kids go play at the next level, that freshman year when they come back for Thanksgiving or come back from Christmas, and I think, you know, it, they all come back with that humbled, right? They, they go there because they have a certain skill set and talent evens out. You know, they're getting shoved by a 23-year-old and, you know, in the fall ball, and it, it's a humbling process. Like you said, everyone's got to go through. Every, all of us went through it that played beyond high school. It's just a great thing. So last thing I want to go to, in regards to attributes and traits is teams, the, the best teams you've coached, you know, you've been lucky enough, fortunate enough to, to coach a team that's, you know, won the last game of the season, you know, in one of the best States in, in, in this country and the best baseball and some of the best baseball in this country. Like what do the best teams have? What stands out to you there? Well, before we go there, I want to go here uh, to, to backpedal real quick to that last thing we were talking about. And, one of the, because you said something that made me remember when you talked about the freshmen coming back in the fall. And, you know, what I'm telling the guys at camp right now, not to scare them, but to educate them and, and make them aware of what they're up against, because you have to know what you're up against if you're going to get to where you want to go. Um, I think the number is 296. I'd have to look it up. But everybody, you know, has the goal of, that want to play in college, you they're like D1 or bust, right? Which is not a good mindset, but that's what they have. So I, I say, all right, so, you know, how many Division One programs have baseball? I think it's 296, I think. Okay, close, it's close. So that means, let's say you're a shortstop. There's 296 starting shortstops in the world right now in college, okay? And right now the college, college scene is seven classes of players. So you still have guys in college right now this year that are 2015 graduates. So you got, if they were redshirted and COVID, okay? So they got 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21s. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That's seven classes of players. So I say, you know, you guys are pretty good growing up and you're 12 years old. What are you playing? 13U, 
you know, they're going to play up a grade, right? Once in a blue moon, you got somebody that plays two. So I said, when you're a freshman right now, a 2000, you graduated last year and you show up on campus, you're competing against seven classes of players for that one shortstop position of the 296 that are out there. And we got kids that come from other countries to play in college, in college here. So it's not just Americans. But even if it was, you know, if you're going to get there, you better understand what you're up against. Because most programs are recruiting shortstops and moving them to other positions. You know, that's a good way to recruit. I would do it too. But, you know, when you look at a roster that you're committing to and that shortstop is, is a dude, you better be, you know, you better go watch him and say, can I beat that guy out? You know, and then they're going to bring in five more next year with you, you know, in your class. And only one guy is walking out there. And once in a while, once in a blue moon, that freshman is. But it's kind of like we always think we're going to be that guy, right? Like we're the exception. Well, you know, does the exception exist? Yeah, it does. But from a percentage standpoint, there's way more guys. And even the, that guy that does comes home his freshman year and realizes I got to eat better. I got to sleep better. I, you know, if they're serious, if they're there to win a spot, you know, in a winning program, you know, I got to eat better. I got to sleep better. I got to, my routines have to get better. I got to work smarter. Um, I got to refine my skill sets. I got to, you know, my baseball IQ has to go up. I mean, there's so many things. And I tell these guys all the time, I mean, you, it's kind of like high school coaches. The college coaches are only playing the players they trust. Tim, you know what I mean? And experience matters. You know, being in situations matter. I just told you that at the beginning of, the, you know, when I first got to North Hall in the three years, Buford and Gainesville showed up. Well, after we started beating them, we were over that hump, but it took experience to get us there. I told the first class of guys I had, and you know, when I got to North Hall, the same thing I was telling the guys in 2017 when we won the school's first state title, we played for it in 2013, telling them the same thing, you know, sharing the same information, same drills, basically the same, but experience and seeing it and actually experiencing the wins. And, you know, so these kids, they need to understand what they're up against. And if I'm a high school coach, I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to say it in a spiteful, mean way. But I want them to know, like, dude, you think you're like the man, you know, you need to understand what you're getting ready to, to walk into. And if you are understanding and you are willing to put in the work, you, maybe you can be that guy. But until you make those changes, you're just fooling yourself. So the question you said was the team, right? Yeah. About, um, you know, like you think about your 2017 team or other teams that you've had that have won championships or, you know, gotten right there. Like what, what attributes, I mean, talent's a prerequisite, right? We know you have to have some level of talent to play in those games, but what else when talent evens out, even at the high school level? I think it's, you know, pretty cliche answers probably because it's true. You know, you, you have to have a great culture, um, guys that pull for one another, um, it's never going to be perfect. You're always going to have different dynamics, you know, um, can you win and have guys not like each other? You can. Um, it's not going to be as much fun, you know, in the dugouts. Um, but it's going to be harder to win that way, 
you know, when you're all pulling on the same rope in the same direction, paddling in the same direction, whatever analogy you want to use, it's a lot easier. But when I, when I think of teams that, you know, our teams, you know, this last year's team I coached before I retired, had the best year in 30 years, 36 years, I think, or something at, and um, at this school and their, their culture, their belief in one another, their, their, they were ultra competitive. Um, the leadership was really good. Hard to find leaders right now um, in the high, yeah, anywhere really. Um, just um, you know, it just I'm just kind of beating my brain because when I picture these guys, these teams, 2017, 2013, even the teams that lost that didn't get to the state championship that were just an hour away, one way or another, from getting there. They were ultra prepared. Um, they believed in the system. Um, you know, they had fun together. Um, and they enjoyed playing the game. And I think as a coach, that's the biggest takeaway I would try to leave with the coaches today is try not to be, you know, Mr. Militant coach, Mr. You know, like Billy Badass, Yeller Screamer. Um, you know, this game is, is hard. It's really hard, especially offensively, um, but all of it. And coaches that create tension unnecessarily, I think, inhibit their team's ability to reach their ceiling. And you, you have to be able to create without disrespecting the game. So it's like a balance, you know, like to me, I apologize to the ones who let their kids do this, but, you know, I'm not about chirping to the other team, my team's like, you know, getting into a chirping match across from dugout to dugout or, you know, we're going to focus on our guys. We're going to bring energy to our team. You know, we're going to believe in one another. And, um, you know, you have to allow the guys to be guys, you know, within the framework of that. So guys have different personalities. Some are super intense, some, you know, smiling and, free and easy and, and you, you, they're not robots so if you just kind of let them play and have fun if, if they're doing something that's a little bit silly I mean I remember Ray Tanner and when the University of South Carolina you know they played for they won two national championships in a row at, you know at South Carolina I think it was 11 and 12 and then 13 they were in the World Series again you know I think the one year they were the kids were bringing like a a fishbowl with a literal goldfish around with them. He would go on the road with them. He was in the dugout with them, you know. This is at the SEC Power Five, you know, national championship level. And Ray Tanner would tell you, you know, who's now the athletic director of South Carolina, that when he was at NC State as the head coach or even his first years at South Carolina, that would have never, ever happened. Never, you know. And his teams never really quite could ever really get over the hump. Is it because – he let them bring a fish in the dugout? No, but it's the overall mindset, you know, of just, does that really matter? Is that like hurting anybody? You know, it was, it was a little rallying cry thing. The guys had fun with it, especially the guys that are on the bench now. I mean, if you make them miserable, you know, so you got to allow there's appropriateness too, right? Like everything can't be a joke, you know, something bad happens on you're getting your butt beat as a team and you're in there like cutting up. That's not what I'm talking about either. So it's like literally having to define this and, and kind of managing it as to what you're allowing and not allowing, you know, 
And then you guys start to have fun. They, they're prepared from, a, from an execution standpoint and their individual skills and team skills. And then you just start beating people, man. And, um, you know, they beat people they shouldn't beat. In 17 in Georgia, you know, I think we were like one ranking had a 16th in the country. Who, you know, how do they do that? I don't know how they rank you across the country. Maybe we were even, you know, as low as eight. I had two players go play in college off that team. Really three. One went and got hurt and never played. He was a pitcher when he went to college. Two, you know, college players. And, you know, the team in 17 that we beat, a little side note, um, you know, the quarterback for the University of Georgia that just won the national championship, you know, he was the shortstop on the team that we beat in the state championship. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I said a lot. I don't know how much of that's going to stick no. when you throw it the wall, but it's kind of like all over the place. I get it. But there's so many little things that I think about. And if I did, was doing a PowerPoint, I could – prioritize them and make it all neat and fancy for you. But those are the things that jumped out at me when you asked that question. No, we love the authenticity, right? Because these are 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And you know, what maybe they think is fun is not what we think is fun. And, but it ain't about right. us. You talk about humility being player first. Um, right. But you know, you're coming up to the clinic here in a couple of weeks in Wisconsin. Um, you know, you, you've, you've retired from high school coaching. Maybe explain to listeners kind of what you're doing. Um, what are you doing now in, in baseball? Yeah, so Nate and I, so we do camps together and individually. Nate Trotsky, he'll be talking also at the clinic. Um, Nate's amazing. He's one of the best minds in baseball there is, in my opinion. And I haven't been around a better infield guy than Nate Trotsky, but um, – we do camps together across the country and we do some individual as well. Um, I, I'm on uh, getting ready to do, go to New York this, you know, this Thursday. I don't know when you post the podcast, but it'll be my third weekend in a row. And then I go to Wisconsin and then I go, we go to Kansas city. So Nate and I will be in Wisconsin. We have a one day camp that Sunday after your clinic. And then uh, we literally head out to Kansas city to the Royals, to their, you know, their place, their Urban Youth Academy. We've had, I think, three there already. So we'll be there the fourth time. So we travel the country doing that. And then we have these memberships. Um, we have the Gold Glove membership. We have what's called the CPD, Complete Player Development Coaching Mastery membership, all through TrotskyRanch.com. And we are working our tails off to make it the best content, usable content for coaches um for infielders so if you're a coach a player a parent both memberships apply but if it's if it's infield specific just infield play you know it's going to be the gold glove membership and if it's all areas of the game it's coaching mastery so i'm for instance this yesterday we I, my content went out so i had about 12 to 14 brand new pieces of content mostly videos that went out to the membership on top of everything that's already in the membership, just to keep, keep giving them. And, and again, it's not pie in the sky stuff. That's like the thing I worry about the most. And even coming up to Wisconsin to talk, like I, you know, I, I'm doing these topics and I just want to keep them real, you know, and I, my, you know, your biggest fear is people are going to walk away and go, well, you know, I've heard that before. Well, okay. Well, you know, I mean, you want to be successful. These are the things that work. Now I can impress you, you know, try to impress you and probably impress you with all this stuff. 
that you can't apply, probably not. And, you know, you walk out of there like, man, that was really good, but how do we use it? We can't, you know, we have two coaches and we got a JV team, a freshman team and a varsity team with two coaches and we don't even have indoor batting cage, you know? So just keeping it real. And that's a trap that we all fall into. You know, parents are that way. Players are that way. Tim, right. With drills, they're looking for the magic drill, the secret sauce, this one thing that's just going to, you know, they're going to do it and it's going to make them like the best player ever. And that's a really bad way of thinking, in my opinion, you know, so. Of the content you've put out thus far, and I feel like it's growing by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year. Um, in the past, you've put out some fantastic content about youth baseball. And I really think you got to be one of the first guys to do that. Um, because, you know, as high school coaches, a lot of us have, you know, some sort of footprint in our youth program and, you know, you know, the scene it's, it's volunteer dads, guys that are trying to do what's right by their, their kid and their buddies. But I don't know if we give them the greatest resources to run their practices and all the time they spend with those kids in those formative years. So maybe give us some advice about how to navigate, you know, youth programs and that youth player. Yeah, I think, you know, you can get really overwhelmed as a coach or a parent in those youth levels, you know, feeling like you're missing the boat and, um, you know, get caught up in winning too much. And, you know, to me, the practice, you should be practicing, you know, 75% of the time, playing 25% of the time, you know, really to get to high school if you're having quality practices, you know. Um, so we did the winning baseball. Tim Hires, who was the big league hitting coach for the Red Sox all the way through this past year, he just now got chose not to take his contract and, you know, got hired by the, the Rangers. He's going to be building that, that system of hitters. Um, and then Scott Emerson, who's the big league pitching coach for the Oakland A's, both those guys helped me with winning baseball, the books and DVDs, the video series. And our whole goal was developmentally appropriate skills and drills and baseball IQ. So the T-ballers, when you graduate from T-ball, here's the basic core few little things that the T-ballers got to have, mostly fun, but here are the few skills that they got to have and able to move up to coach or machine pitch. And when you get to coach or machine pitch, it was really a, just laying out a simple framework based on our experience as to what we felt like would allow somebody to continue to progress through the game. And if your kid was super advanced, you could, you know, skip in the book up, you know, skip the coach or machine pitch and go to the player pitch, you know, and we just, it's really that brick by brick mentality again of just learning the most simple things right and then building on them. And really, to me, when you get to high school, you should be an elite thrower and receiver of the ball. You should have a good swing path with balance and be able to hit the ball to all fields and be able to bunt and sack, drag, push, slash, hit and run. Those are called execution skills because all of those things, whether you use them in the game or not, even if you're a four-hole power 12-year-old guy that just hits pop-ups over the fence, you know, you got to – you know, develop this ability to hit because the big field will, will, you know, neutralize the best 12 year old home run, home run hitter. But, you know, to me, that's really what, what it's about the brick by brick mentality of development. So they, they should be able to walk into high school and then you can start really talking about approach and pitch recognition. And, you know, we can work more team D stuff, you know, picks and rundowns and base running and, 
you know, little things that you're looking for to be able to get a great jump. And, you know, instead of this is how you take your lead, you know, um, that stuff should be already established. And it's not, it's just not. And it probably will never be. In my opinion, we're going backwards on this because we only do what we know. I guess I'll end with that. We, you know, or you can ask other questions. I'm not in a hurry, but you only do what you know. And if you don't know very much, you're not going to do very much. So if you're not willing to learn, and most people are afraid to look bad, even coaches, they, they don't want to be humiliated. They want to, you know, egos get in the way. So, you know, we don't want to admit that we really don't know that much. So we just kind of like hide behind that and do what we know that nobody can really question, which is like the same thing everybody's been doing forever or less. And if you have enough talent, you win. So you kind of feel like, yeah, you know, I got this down. I'm a, I'm a good coach, you know. Uh, well, are you really a good coach? Or are you a good recruiter? You know, I mean, what is it? So when you take the less talented teams and you start beating the more talented teams, that's the guy that's the good coach, okay? Um, or, or the mom or, you know, it's, it's female, male, it doesn't matter. Same thing applies. Uh, I, I keep using the male side of things, but it applies to the, you know, softball or, or the mom that's coaching baseball. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, learn the game at a, you know, young level, build confidence, build skills, right. You know, as well as I do, Tim, the hardest thing to do is to change somebody. And the older they get, the more muscle memory is real. And, you know, somebody has developed some bad habits, trying to get them to, to retract and get rid of that. And then, you know, get into a game where that doesn't show back up. It's going to take a lot of time and effort when if they just learn it right from the first time from the get go, they could be just moving on. So those are some of the things that pop out at me there. Appreciate that. Well, we've covered so much already. We've talked about high school coaches, the high school player championship teams, practice planning, youth baseball, kind of what you're doing now, looking ahead to the state clinic. Like what else you got for us? This is kind of where I shut the mic off. I let you finish. What else you got for us, kind of, um, you know, us as coaches here in the state of Wisconsin or across the country, whoever listens to this? Yeah, I, I, so the one thing that I guess I just, speaking from my heart, this is what I thought of when you asked that question, and that is, you know, you got to manage the parents as a high school coach. You got to, you know, you got to manage the parents. You can't be a jerk to the parents. You need their support. So just like everything, it's a balance. You know, if you give them too much, you know, they'll they'll take it as far as you'll let them take it, you know. So you got to set your boundaries and you got to stick to your guns. But at the same time, why do you have to be a jerk about it? You don't, you know, you can say hello, you can smile, you know. And um, I think that comes with confidence and experience. I think ultimately as young coaches, we're a little bit intimidated. I remember the parents saying to me, you don't get it because you don't have a kid. You know, and then as I <laughs> as I aged, as we all do, I'm like, all right, I get it. I have a kid, but he's three, you know, and now my kid's in college and I'm older You know, I'm older than all the parents. So once you get older than all the parents, it's kind of hard for them to use that one, you know. So um, that's the experience factor. But I'm going back to the point, guys, of, you know, you got to get your parents involved if you want to have a nice little, if you're allowed to have a booster club or if you're, if you want to have nicer things, you know, you have to be able to take the individual con contributor out of the equation. Hey coach, 
you want a tarp? You know, I'll be willing to write you a check. That's dangerous, you know, to me. But if we have a booster club, you know, everybody can raise the money for it. You know, I don't know as the coach, we got a booster club president, you know, the parents are going to want to work. If they, if they, if you can sell your vision to them and you're not a jerk, you know, you hold your ground when you make cuts and you make decisions, you hold your ground. If somebody gets mad at you for that. So be it. But that's one of the 40, you know, parents, the other ones are, are, are on board, you know, and um, you got to have their, their support. If you don't, it can get really, really ugly. I also think you can't open your door. That's my opinion to every, everybody for, I mean, I have, if you want to talk about your son, because he's, you think he might be contemplating suicide, using drugs, you know, uh, he needs help with a college, you know, writing a letter to a coach, whatever. I'll talk to you literally about any of that stuff. I will talk to a parent to the cows come home and then call me and, and set up. A, I'll talk to him on the phone or individually or individually at my office. As soon as it turns to playing time and I tell them in the meetings, as soon as it turns to playing time, it's over. The conversation is over and you got to have the guts to be able to say, you know, I appreciate the time that we had talking, but you know, this conversation is now over um, and they'll hang up the phone and they'll feel guilty about it, you know, cause they know they were pushing the limits, you know, but the players can come talk to me anytime, Tim, anytime, you know, I tell them probably don't want to talk to me right before or after a game. That's not an appropriate time, but you know, you sent me a message and say, Hey coach, can we sit down and talk? Heck yeah, we can talk. Heck yeah, we can talk. You know, I'll tell you, you know, why you're not playing. Although I'm going to ask them, Tim, that's another thing that I've learned. Ask questions. Don't tell all the time. So Tim, why, you know, why are you in here? Well, I'm just kind of one, you know, I'm not really sure why I'm not playing. I'm not sure what I have to do. Well, you know, tell me what you feel like you do really well and why you, we should be putting you in the lineup, Tim, you know, tell me I'm willing, you know, I'm going to listen. And it's amazing. The kids really get it. The vast majority of the time, they're just in there because their parents, they hear their parents most of the time. Sometimes the kid legitimately has a question. He's not sure. And he can answer his own questions. Nine times out of 10, he can answer his own questions. And if he can't, well, then I'm going to tell him why. You know, or I tell him you're close. You know, keep treating your practice like your games. Um, show me, you know, we've got to gain it. we got to have a little more trust in you. We just don't, you know, this other guy right now, when we make the lineup, He's, you know, I, I try not to compare the players with one another and that kind of thing. But, you know, if you're going to get in the lineup, you're going to have to fix A, B or C or just get a little more consistent with it. So we have the confidence to, you know, put you in there or whatever. I, you know, there's so many little things you could talk about. But, um, yeah, you got to take care of those parents. Got to Got to smile at them. You got to genuinely be a nice guy. I think, you know, if you're a jerk and you're a yeller and a screamer and you're a cusser and, you know, People uh, will turn on you real fast, even when you're doing things well. And if you give them all sorts of reasons, if you start to struggle as a team and, and you have you're rough around the edges, you know, they're going to turn on you real fast. So you're not kissing. It's not about kissing their butts. You know, that I always got to like go back to the other side when I say things, because it's all like right down the middle. You know, it's based on your personality, your parents' personality, your experience, what you feel comfortable with. You know, how, what I did with my team. I mean, I got friends of mine that said they would talk to parents all the time. And I'm like, how did you get anything done? They'd be lined up at the door. And if one of them thinks they can come in there and talk their way for their kid into the lineup, oh, you're definitely going to have a lot of people at the door, you know. 
Like, I don't know how you do it, but they're like, I don't have a problem with it. It's something that they're comfortable with. I'm like, nah, not me. So you got to decide. So I'm rambling right now. So that's 30 years of uh, different little things popping in my head. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Trent Mongero for taking time to sit down with us today. Um, he has an extremely busy schedule. Um, you know, he jokes that he thought he'd have more time once he retired from coaching high school, but now he's all over the country. Uh, him and Nate Trotsky are doing camps. They're doing weekend camps, one-day camps. Um, and speaking of one-day camps, on Sunday the uh, 13th in the Madison area, they're doing a one-day camp. They're both speaking at our clinic this year, and they're sticking around to do a, cl- um, a camp on Sunday. So I'll leave uh, Trent's information in the show notes, but if you just search Trent Mongero, you'll find his website to go get signed up. Um, you know, throughout the years, Trent's put out so much information, and one thing I think he does maybe better than anybody else is he does simple really well. You know, he can talk, you know, at, at advanced, advanced levels, and he could get really complicated if he wants, but he knows what wins, simple wins. Um, his winning baseball series with youth baseball all the way through high school, and obviously now working with the best infielders in all of baseball, he has the ability to stretch all those lanes. And that's what's super impressive to me as I watch him speak. So I hope you find a way to get into that last session on Friday night in Madison and then the early session on, on Saturday morning. Um, we was talking infield play, mostly a little bit of outfield play and routines. Huge thank you again to, to Trent for coming by and jumping on the show. And I hope you're able to you know, access this content and take so much away like I did. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, please remember to subscribe and share and pass these along to anyone who might be interested as we continue to just have great guests that are providing absolutely uh, golden nuggets of, of knowledge. So um, until next time, have a great rest of your day.